0: Support for Wavemakers comes from listeners like you and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampa tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Tom and Janet. A weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And running the board today is recovering journalist John Dunn. Answering phones is always cool dj spaceship if you want to join our conversation you can call us at 813-239-9663 and dj spaceship will get you through to us you can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885
1: we've been away for three weeks uh, we just got back from a, an amazing trip to morocco it was an eye-opening experience in so many ways Uh, but we're happy that we can return with one of my favorite people who has been making waves in Florida for decades. Bill Maxwell is a former columnist and editorial writer for the St. Pete Times, a native Floridian who grew up as a migrant farm worker, got involved in the pivotal 1964 civil rights movement in St. Augustine, and managed to survive an encounter with the devil in the grove himself, the infamous Sheriff Willis McCall. Bill has also been an artist-in-residence in the Florida Everglades, which deepened his love for Florida's fragile and battered ecosystem. Welcome to Wavemakers, Bill. Thank you.
0: Bill, we hope to cover all of that in the next hour. And if you'd like to... Ask Bill a question or comment on what you hear. Again, you can call us at 813-239-9663 or send an email to dj at wmnf.org. And Bill, let's start with your latest book, Maximum Vantage, which recently won a silver, silver, silver medal in the Florida Book Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book is a collection of your columns from the St. Pete Times, from which you retired four years ago. Uh, we know a lot of people miss your columns. Um, what prompted you to publish uh, this book of essays?
2: Well, <clears throat> is what prompted me. Uh, uh, it wasn't my idea, actually. Uh, the, first, uh, the first book was uh, Maximum Insight. Uh, when, one of my colleagues at, the, at, uh, at Santa Fe College, when, when I was teaching there uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, told me that uh, there were great columns in the, in the Gainesville Sun and the Fort Pierce Tribune. He said, you know, Bill, we should uh, we should do a book. I said, okay. So he contacted people at the Florida Press. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are the ones who encouraged me to put uh, them together, which I did. And the same thing this time. Uh, since we had done columns from 94 to 2000 or 1999, uh, why not uh, uh, finish and finish out all the columns? So... It really was not my idea, but I thought it was a good idea once it was suggested to me. So that's how that came about.
0: How did you choose what to include in the book? How, how did you choose which columns to include?
1: Because you wrote a lot of columns during that yeah.
2: time. Yeah, I wrote a, two a
1: week for many years. Right. Twenty, um, twenty-five years, I think, you were yeah, at times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was an editorial writer at the time. Uh, Bill joined uh, the newspaper right. and joined the editorial board, and he was... It was just an amazing uh, voice uh, on the on the editorial board and within the newspaper. Those of you who remember him, I know you you remember mm-hmm. him fondly. But well, well, a lot of people um, helped me with it. Uh, you know, I, I would
2: ask people which ones you think should be in there, and uh, so it came from a lot of people. And of course, I was involved in the in the process, but it's not all my uh, selection. A lot of people were involved who read them, so you know there were. You, you know, what are your favorite ones? And someone would say, well, this, that. So that's pretty much how it came
0: about. Are there any in there that are your particular favorites?
2: Um, uh, yeah. There are, there are several. Uh, one about Jeb Bush, uh, that's one of my favorites. Uh, is that the Dear Jeb uh, yeah. letter? Uh, another is um, all of the environmental ones are my favorites. Okay. That's, that's something that's important to me. The the, the ones about race, uh, I was always reluctant to write, as a matter of fact. Why is that? Um, Because um, um, they mostly engender bitterness from people, from Mm -hmm. a lot of people. People who agree with you, that's the choir, they agree with you. But that's not really who I, I was writing for. I was trying to get people to pay attention and to listen to divorces out there that are being abused. And that really makes people, a lot of people
1: angry. In fact, I recall that uh, when you got to the Times, there was some, um, let's call it, disagreement among some of the black staffers at the Times about the fact that you had been hired and you were going to be writing a column. Um, mm. What was that like? It was,
2: um, well, uh, it was hostile, actually. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it also filtered down into, to, into the community. So you know, because the people who were opposed to my being there were influential uh, in, in St. Petersburg, so it became uh, I became a universal uh, bad person. What was the uh,
0: opposition? What was what? What did people object to? Why did they not think that you should be writing for the Times? Well,
2: um, I, I have a perspective on race and self-reliance that a lot of people don't share. Uh, First of all, um, I was accused of being, still am, an Uncle Tom, and they don't know what an Uncle Tom is, really. Um, But what happened is uh, I believe that uh, the U.S. is a racist place, very racist. And it is not going to change. It's going to remain racist. As a result... You must take care of yourself. You still have to feed your children. You have to send them to school, and you have to live a good life. And so that's up to you.
0: That's your message to to the black community, or read,
2: that's for everybody. To everybody, especially
0: black people. No read, one, read no read one your children.
2: gives a damn about you. I
1: remember one of the things you used to talk about was you got to read to your children. Yeah, I you got to so take care of your you got to take care of your property. I think a lot of folks felt like you were being overly critical of, the, of your own community.
2: No, I would not be. And the point is that uh, uh, why not live in a beautiful, decent environment? You can make that happen. I can make it. I, did, I make it happen. And it's pretty easy to make happen if you want it to happen. So that's my message to people. And that was uh, uh, hated by a lot of people. And by the way, i got to tell you, you were in the newsroom with me. Um, many of my white colleagues uh, uh, did not like that message either They went along with the uh, the black people Who were the strong ones in the newsroom Their friends uh, And uh, that's what So I became the enemy When in fact My whole point is You have to take care of yourself No one
1: else is going to do it for you But well, fortunately you had an editor Who backed you, right? <laughs> Phil, Phil Gailey No, no, no Phil, Phil was fine Yeah Phil he he hired backed you me. up. He, he supported you.
2: Yeah, Phil yeah. supported me. Phil hired me, and uh, he, he supported me the whole time I was there. So Phil and I never had any real uh, any disagreements about uh, not to each other. I don't know what he said behind my back. He uh, <laughs> <laughs>
3: never but, said but, anything behind
1: his back. But we got along really well. Yeah, I think he was a mm-hmm. it was a staunch supporter of yours, an admirer. Yeah. Um.
0: Let's get back to, you mentioned that one of your favorite columns is, is your letter to Jeb Bush. Um, and tell us about that. Did, was it your favorite at the time? And did you find as you were putting the, or did you find that as you were putting this book together, that that, that column resonated even more in 2023 than it did when you wrote it to the former governor?
2: Well, it, it, you know, very much. Is, not much has changed in Florida. Uh, Governor DeSantis has read, picked up where Jeb left off and and uh, actually uh, intensified it. So it was a it was telling Jeb that uh, uh, you are really hurting a lot of people who um, they're poor, the migrants, uh, and, and others. You know, it was a, it was a message to them that in a state that depends on certain populations. You are, in fact, uh, making life difficult for uh, these populations. And it's still going on. The governor right now is making it very hard for uh, people in Immokalee, people in Glade, people in uh, you know, uh, uh, many of the places where migrants are doing the heavy lifting for us. So we, we, we don't have a sense of uh, taking care of them and giving them the kinds of uh, uh, rights that they deserve. Right now, you can go to Immokalee.com. And you will find places where people in the fields still don't have fresh water. They still don't get uh, breaks in, 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 in the hot sun. Mm-hmm. And it
1: should happen. And it's not happening in many places. Which is amazing because that's where Harvest of Shame, the famous documentary by Edward R. Murrow, that's right. was filmed. And in some ways, it sounds like things haven't really improved that much. And that was, that was the early 60s. I in guess. the 60s. Yeah.
2: Right. Uh, no, things have not- you were probably there, too. I, I was there. I yeah. was in Immokalee. I was in Belle Glade. I was in uh, Homestead. So I worked in all of those places. Fort Pierce, you named them. You know, so uh, not very much has changed.
1: Back then, the workers were were probably mostly African American, and they were they were mostly, uh They were mostly black, and
2: uh, but, but then it, uh, once the 1964, the Civil Rights Act was passed... We could go inside and work. <laughs> so many of us left the fields. I never, I never worked in the field again after I could work in a restaurant and be a waiter. Why go in the hot sun if you could be inside? Right. Yeah.
0: And we're going to talk more about that later, about your roots. You started as a, a migrant farm worker. Um, that was how you, you started your, your life and obviously rose to, to great things. Um, one of the things that my understanding, the letter to the, to the governor was Jeb Bush was also about the education system and how, and what, in light of that, what do you think about what's happening now with our education system and teaching history, teaching African-American history? If you were to be writing a column about that now, what might you say about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, and Jeb Bush's kids went to private school, but I thought that then they were trying to privatize our public school system. You know, the, the whole voucher program got its genesis back in that era. So I, I, I just assumed that we were going to be right now where we are. And I thought that what they were doing to our school system was exactly what would happen, where my money is going to... Uh, homeschooling my my is going to uh, charters my school my money's going to all of that and i don't think that is the way it was set up the constitution i don't think supports that private schools they don't have to meet the same standards as public schools that's, that's right so yeah.
1: but your your column was also about the way teachers were being treated it, yeah, right. teachers
2: were yeah right, you know it's happening still teachers were not getting the respect they needed the the pay is still abysmal uh the the workload is abysmal so uh, not very much has changed. And so uh, lack of respect, I think, is at the core of why so many teachers are leaving uh, the system. It's not just a matter of, uh, of, of the pay being low. It's just generally we don't respect uh, the, the role of a teacher, and it hasn't really changed. And it started with, uh, with, with the, the power of the Republicans gaining uh, that kind of control over,
1: over the school system. And how did Jeb Bush react to that
2: column? Oh, he got very angry. He, uh, he uh, wrote to me, and so, uh, but it was, it was, uh, he was angry. So what, what else can I say? Yeah. I can't repeat that. It so long ago, I forgot <laughs> what Jeb said, but uh, uh, he was angry.
0: Uh, If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom. And our guest today is former St. Pete Times columnist Bill Maxwell, who still is doing a lot of writing, very prolific, continues to share his uh, viewpoints through a variety of different um, outlets. Um, The other thing that you mentioned, uh, if you want to pose a question to Bill or you comment on anything that you hear, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email to DJ at wmnf. Dot org The other thing that you mentioned were your columns about the environment that you said that you like very much that are in um, the book Maximum Vantage. Um, tell us about that. The um, environmental issues that you have seen over the years and uh, where that comes from. I would imagine some of that comes from your background as being a farm worker that you feel yeah. that close to Florida's environment.
2: Yeah, a lot of it did. We know we were we were in the environment uh, all the time. As a matter of fact, uh, we. Uh, most places we went, we either stayed uh, uh, in uh, uh, shacks that were open to the environment uh, and we cooked outside uh, everything we did. So the great outdoors became uh, a friend really and mm-hmm. I, I, you know that, that, that's, that's where my uh, my comfort was. so uh, as I grow um, older, uh, I began to realize that there is a thing called the environment mm-hmm. and uh, so I be Actually, I wanted to be a, a, a ranger at one point. And, oh, okay. Uh, and uh, when I was in high school, I actually wrote to uh, Lake City Junior College. was the only school in the state of Florida that had uh, a ranger forest program. So I wrote to them and asked if I could uh, uh, get in, and I couldn't because they did not uh, accept black people, Negroes at the time. Hmm. So there was nowhere for me to go. Well, so I put that aside and it went on with my life. But uh, I always return to the national parks, the state parks. Uh, even now, you know, I do that. You know, I spend my time as much outside as I can. So it became a friend. But the other thing is this. No matter where I lived, St. Petersburg is a good example. The worst kinds of environmental problems are in the black community. Uh, right now, you find the industrial sites where there may be brown, brown sites, in black places. In Fort Lauderdale, um, one of the schools I went to, uh, before integration, uh, the wastewater plant was next to my school, and we had brown water in our school. Mm-hmm. When the schools integrated, they shut the school down, and it became something else because white kids came to that school. So pretty clear to me uh, that the environment uh, has always been Part of my life in in mascot, Florida, the uh, uh, the city dump was in the black area. In Crescent City, the city dump was in the black area. So I knew as a child that the environment uh, was everything, and if you didn't take
1: care of it, you didn't take care of yourself. Were the two issues that you write about intersect: environment and race. Yeah, environmental racism. Yeah, there is. You know, there's environmental racism in America. You know, anyone who denies it is a is a liar. You know, it happens, and and you were involved in the civil rights movement, uh, in the nineteen sixty four Saint Augustine right. Uh, movement, right? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Janet and I were there recently and took a tour and uh, you learned, saw the slave market, right? So saw the slave market. <laughs> we stopped uh, at the swimming pool where uh, right. the owner threw in acid. Right. And that photo appeared on the front page of a Washington newspaper the next day, and it right. apparently helped pass the nineteen sixty four civil rights act it did but what was uh what 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 was your role and how did you get involved in that uh, I got involved
2: uh through invitation i was uh, asked by we had uh I, I was at Wiley College in Marshall Texas as a freshman, and we had an SCLC uh member come there
0: s c l c southern Southern christian, christian Leadership Leadership conference. conference okay
2: and I asked for people to uh, come to Florida uh, to, to volunteer um, as, as activists. So uh, because I was from Florida and I had been involved in the, uh, in the waitings in Fort Lauderdale, uh, I was asked to come and, and join. And my, uh, one of my classmates was from Hastings, which is near St. Augustine. Yep. And he had a car.
0: Potato so, capital of um, Florida.
2: So he brought both of us down to uh, St. Augustine, and we got involved in the movement there. Uh, Dr. Haling. Uh, the dentist. Pardon me? Is that the dentist in St. Yes. Augustine?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. He um, he was there, and he had a uh, very influential uh, man. He An has, organizer. He
0: was he organizing. He
2: organized the, uh, 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 a sit-in already and marches. So we, we joined him. And it was dangerous because many of the deputies, uh, many of the cops in St. Augustine, were also Klansmen, and that's documented. Yes, you that know, is can, not can, a joke. That is real. So it was a very dangerous place to work. Uh, you're looking at someone who comes supposedly to help you when, in fact, he's there to hurt you or even kill you. And so uh, it was. Uh, it was a place where... Uh, You you did not want to be. And Dr. Haling told us to arm ourselves. He was a NAACP uh, uh, president, but he did not believe in uh, uh, Gandhi. He thought that we needed to uh, protect ourselves because the people wearing the uniforms had the badges on and the caps on. They really were the guys who wore robes uh, on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So we were it was a very bad place. Dr. King even said. It was the most racist place uh, he had ever been to. He St. Augustine, was in St. Augustine. St. St. Augustine, Florida.
0: St. Augustine, Florida. just want to repeat that. We're talking about yes. St. Augustine, Florida, that all this happened there in the summer of 1964. Right. And Martin Luther King was arrested there. He was arrested. And they, they now, one of the things that's interesting about St. Augustine is how much, in the last 10 years, they've changed the way they present the history there. Th- they did. Yes. Because to their credit. To their I credit. They used to
1: ignore it completely. Right. Ignore used, it. So
0: now they have in the hotel where um, Martin Luther King spoke and where, the where, where these, there were some pool. kids who right. were trying to integrate the swimming pool were swimming. Right. And the owner threw acid in the swimming pool to get them out. That's the photo that Tom was talking about that was on the front yeah. page of national newspapers that right. ended up influencing the ne- the vote on the uh, Civil Rights Act. But now they are mem- commemorating that. I think they only put that in in the last few years yeah. where they actually have a plaque there mm-hmm. where you mentioned the slave market. Right. They do have the slave market there, but they took down the Confederate monument they took it down, and yeah. put up a monument for... Um,
1: well, Andrew Young, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a marker it, there's there. There's a marker there for Andrew, Andrew Young, Young who was, was, was
0: beaten there. And yeah. I think it's just... St. Augustine, Florida, that I think people just aren't even aware that that was such a pivotal place wow. in the civil rights movement, and you were there. Yeah.
2: Well, if, if it were up to the current governor, uh, you wouldn't know any of that happened, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's true. Uh, well, it's it's true. Just, <laughs> I mean, St. Augustine got to be—they uh, uh, they must be given credit for, for being,
1: yep. uh, being very smart. About it is that. an uncomfortable conversation, let's face it, because it, some right. nasty things— happened there. exactly, And you know, the, the thing about it is, it wasn't that long ago. Not that long ago. And there ago. were people there who were supporting the racists right. and the clans who were still living they're there. They're still living there. And they're your there. neighbors. Right. They're, you know, if you live there, you know who they were. Yeah. Yeah. It was, And, and by the way, uh, uh, Lincolnville...
2: Lincolnville. Lincolnville was, was really uh, one of the most segregated places in the country. I mean, as a matter of fact, uh, we uh, I, I, I lived there for a, a couple of weeks and we, once we left the, uh, the neighborhood, we were we were fair bait for anyone who, who was white. And many whites would stand on certain corners and dare you to leave Lincolnville.
1: So it was, uh, it was just that violent. And uh, the, that dentist that you worked with uh, is now a revered figure in St. Augustine history. Right. Uh, but after all this happened uh, and the 64 Civil Rights uh, Act was passed... He had to leave St. Augustine. Right, he left. He moved to I think he went to Tallahassee anywhere somewhere in North Florida, yeah. a long way away. Yeah, didn't return for for decades.
2: Right, There was only no to be there. And bad, bad memories, you know. Yes, so, so, absolutely. You,
0: tell us about that period of time in your life. So you mentioned the wait-ins. You did wait-ins in Fort Lauderdale, and that is um, when. black people would go out and go to the beaches that they were prohibited from going to, right? right? So you did that in Fort Lauderdale. And how old were you then?
2: Uh, Let's see, I was 15 15 or 16.
0: 15, 16. What happened to
2: you? Were you arrested or? Uh, No, I never got arrested, but uh, I got chased a few times. We all did. As a matter of fact, the FBI uh, came down and put uh, uh, about 20... Uh, people around us to protect us because there were some local Klansmen who they thought were in some of the hotel rooms who were going to shoot us on the beach. So we were actually in fear the uh. whole time. And I, I, never, I, I don't know if there were, but the FBI thought that there were people who were armed who were going to fire on us uh, on the beach. So it was, uh, it, was, it was scary. And what made it so bad is that it was local, It was your hometown, it was where you lived, and you were afraid to be (laughs) on the water in your home. Just imagine that integrating the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, think about it. Damn ocean. Yeah. And and we had to have cops to come to protect us on the ocean. Right. So
0: that's when you were 15, then you went away to college and you you were recruited to come to St. Augustine and participate in the um civil rights activities there. So what exactly did you do there? Were you were you doing marches? Were you no,
2: well uh, marched one time. I went I went door to door trying to get people to either register the vote or to come to our rallies. See, we had rallies all the time. Dr. Haling made a point of making sure that we stayed in the public eye. Because he was really trying to attract Dr. King to come down, you know.
1: So mm-hmm. were the rallies in uh, the square downtown, or in Lincolnville, or they were they were anywhere we felt that we could uh, pull it off safely. Like, yeah. yeah, safely.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, so. speaking of safety, uh, you had an encounter with uh, one of the most notorious racists in Florida history, Willis mm-hmm. McCall, uh, who's the subject of the Pulitzer Prize winning book "Devil in the Grove." Tell us about that.
2: Well. Uh, I have family in Lake County right now, in Sumter County also, Uh, born and reared there. Uh, So I had, and I lived in in Mascot as a child off and on, you know, because my mother was from there, and uh, we, so I lived there uh, often. And Willis McCall was the sheriff from the the 40s through. uh, 1972. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So a long, long time. Long time. And he was the most vicious person that, uh, you know, that we knew. Um, he hated black people. Um, uh, and he he made a point of keeping us in line. And that's one thing you knew. Uh, whenever Caboose McCall uh, is in his car, it's best for you to go and disappear because uh, he would find a way to um, harass you. And as you know, he killed, you know, he, he killed Sammy and some other uh, yeah. two more people. So. Uh, You can't make up a story about Willis McCall, but I only had one encounter with him, which is what I described in an article I wrote uh, recently. Uh, We were stopped one day by Willis, and uh, he actually slapped um, one of the people working with me, a a white male from New York, Uh, uh, and he threatened to kill us because we were trying to register people to vote in Tavares, and he told us to never come back again uh, to Lake County if we did it 'd be the last thing we did on this side of uh, uh of the ground
1: he pulled you all y'all were in a car and he, he got pulled, pulled us over in his in his vehicle and you knew what was happening right you knew who it was yeah I'm was from going.
2: Florida so I yeah, knew so what you knew. was going on my my white friend from uh, uh New York did not know what was going on but uh, I told him uh, to shut up uh don't do not be a New Yorker with this man because he's not one and he would kill us and he literally he pulled his weapon were you scared uh, yes yeah, oh yeah I was scared until I realized later that um, he was a, a caricature of everything that I'd, I'd ever heard about Willis McCall. But listen, Willis McCall also uh, brutalized my relatives, too. Uh, he he actually uh, beat uh, two of my uncles. Uh, so we were all very aware of who the man was. And he lived in Matilla, You know, he didn't live that far away. He was always there, always. And you saw that big hat. A big white Stetson, you knew that you were <laughs> you were doomed.
0: Stunning that he actually was sheriff until the 1970s. Just yes. Just blows my mind. We've got um, a caller on the line. Charlie, we're going to get to you in just a second. If you would like to join our conversation with Bill Maxwell, author Bill and uh, writer Bill Maxwell, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send an email to dj at wmnf.org. And Charlie and St. Pete, you are on the line. What's up?
3: Well, I was uh, just wanted to say I was a big fan of uh, Mr. Maxwell's columns in the St. Pete Times. Uh, I'm a journalist myself and a big fan of, of quality uh, writing of that kind. And it's a real shame that they slim down the paper to where they don't feel they have the space for, for that kind of thing anymore. Um, and you mentioned uh, that Mr. Maxwell continues... With his writing, and I wonder if he could, uh, uh, before the show was over, give us uh, some examples of where we can go to read uh, read some uh, of your current writings.
0: Um, yeah, sure. Well, we, first of all, he has a, a book out right now called "Thanks for the Call, Charlie." Um, Thank you. We've got he's got a book out called Maximum Vantage that and is That where can people get that available? Book? Probably on Amazon. Is it available on Amazon?
2: Amazon also at uh, Tom Bolo Books, Books in Saint Pete. <laughs> in Saint Pete. Yeah. Pe-
0: um, and, um, and that is a collection of columns, but, um, Bill's doing. New work for Florida Humanities Magazine, Forum, the magazine of Florida Humanities. Some of those works are online, um, so uh, you can look there or you can subscribe to the magazine and you'll be able to hear, see his writings. As a matter of fact, he did um, an incredible column about that summer of 1964 and his experiences in St. Augustine and also with Willie McCall and Willis McCall. Willis and, McCall, yeah. yeah. So um, that's a, a good place, and then he's got something coming out in uh, the spring about playing football in a segregated high school.
1: Jim Crow, yes.
0: During the Jim Crow era, so we might be able to talk a little bit and, more and about that. And do you
1: have some uh, work in uh, a new collection?
0: Uh, uh, a new collection, right, of um, the Florida Humanities um put out an anthology uh, to celebrate its 50th anniversary, 50 years of stories about Florida. And in that is um, Bill's story, um, Parallel Lives, which he wrote in conjunction with um, Beverly Coyle, a a white woman Mm -hmm. um, in St. Pete. And they both wrote about growing up on the opposite sides of the tracks, Mm -hmm. Bill in the black community, Beverly in the white community. And that turned into a stage Performance. They actually traveled around the state, and it turned into a staged reading mm-hmm. to explore those issues.
1: You're in some good company in that uh, book, I think. Yeah, I, I,
0: I have a special. Well, the book, ha, I, uh, yeah, so. and Buchanan and all kinds of yeah. It's a very um, renowned writers that are in there, including including Bill Maxwell. And so we're glad to have you you here. And that book also is available, I believe, on Amazon. Okay. Um, We've got, um, a, I want to read a couple emails. DeMarco um, told us that he just is trashing Bill, uh, Jeb Bush, and calling No Child Left Behind. Um, Every Child Left Behind, I think is what he calls it. Um, oh, and he wants to know, did you know Stetson Kennedy? is asking you did, you, did you know Stetson Kennedy?
2: Uh, uh, not well, no. No, I, 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 uh, I forget. I, uh, I actually reviewed one of his books. And I forget which one it was. He wrote so many. I forget <laughs> which one it was.
0: And he also, I believe, is a featured in that anthology, the um, right. Florida Humanities. But no, I don't know him well, no. 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 Um, and then um, uh, we've got another email from somebody who says, at the beginning, you guessed that he was called an Uncle Tom for feeling that people should focus on themselves, but he seems to be a proponent for liberal ideas that support the rights of others. So clarify, what was it, Bill, that... You, the, what point were you making that caused people to call you an Uncle Tom? Um,
2: you know the fact that you, if you, if you use the word, the, the term, um, self-reliance, uh, responsibility, automatically among a lot of people, uh, you are putting them down. Mm-hmm. No, it's not what I'm doing at all. What I'm saying is that you don't have anywhere else to go except to yourself uh, to get things done. And let me just say this, you know, and I, and I, I believe it deeply. Uh, white people are not going to do a damn thing for you. Nothing. So do it for yourself, period. Um, uh, Elijah Muhammad believed it. And he's a black Muslim. He believed it. So I'm I'm Malcolm, more of a black Malcolm Muslim than I am anything else. I believe in take care of yourself. Period. Because no one else would do it for you, including the God you believe in. God is not going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. You take care of yourself. Now, if that's being an time, then damn it, that's what it is. But the fact is that it is not uh, uh, real, you know. And, and too many people believe it. And if I, as a matter of fact, I get very angry thinking that there is something uh, illegitimate about saying that you should be self-reliant. That angers me. So, yeah. Well, the, the Black Panthers believe the same thing. That's exactly it. it. Yeah. I mean, it's, That's exactly it. Now, who calls Black Panthers Uncle, Uncle Tom's, Tom's? right. You know, and cut it out.
0: When you were out there marching, <laughs> you know, you were knocking yeah, on doors and, and participating in but those. Bill came in to those these dues.
1: views after paying his dues. I mean, seriously. Yeah. The yeah. wait in, St. Augustine, encounters with Willis McCall, registering voters at a time where it was dangerous just to knock on doors and try to collect signatures, yeah. right? Yeah. Just trying to register to vote. Uh, you know.
0: Yeah. I've got a, um, an email uh, with a question for you, Bill. Um, this is from Ziggy, who says My take on school vouchers is they are to provide healthy market based competition as is the case in all sectors of our economy also to level the playing field so that poor kids can go to the same schools as the rich kids i am a product of eight years of jesuit education and all kids should be able to go to jesuit high schools the pope is a jesuit and they are the best teachers in the world why should not poor kids get vouchers to go to a jesuit high school what is your take mr maxwell
2: uh, I have no problem with that, but just don't universalize it. I don't, I don't want my tax money going to a Jesuit school. Well, uh, rich
1: kids are getting them now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the by the way,
2: I don't know who the young the person is, but let me tell you, uh, our schools are more segregated now than they were when Dr. King was alive, and, and that really is that really is because of privatizing our system. You know, and a lot of these schools really are not good schools, by the way. The Jesuit schools may be fine, but I can walk you to places that really do not deserve my tax money.
1: And I sympathize with his viewpoint, and I believe I wrote the first editorial at the St. Pete Times suggesting that charter schools are, are something that they ought to try. Kind of went, got out of control in the way that, as much money as they spent on it. But they don't have the same standards for private schools as public schools. The public schools are being held at a much higher standard. So it's not really fair competition. No, I don't think so either. And uh, also, the, uh, the,
2: the private schools are very selective. Public schools take all comers, I mean, mm-hmm. because they're public, you know. So, <laughs> and I think that, and the bedrock of this country has been and is. Public education. And we were the envy of the world. And I don't know what we think we're doing if we're going to continue uh,
1: to, to, to privatize it. I think you're probably a perfect example of that. Somebody who grew up as a migrant farm worker. Yeah. In Jim Crow school. In Jim Crow schools, but you got an education. Yes. And that was your your ticket to success. Right. And I can tell
2: you this. Um, and, and the, the piece I just wrote for of the magazine. One of the big deals in 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 the piece I just wrote about Jim Crow in Florida, especially playing football, is that our teachers were all black. They all they all came from HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, and, and, and the the philosophy and the mantra of the school was, We are here to make sure that you make something out of yourself. They cared about us. We were their children. (laughs) <laughs> and I can tell you uh, right now, uh, uh, I don't find that in, at any level in many places, especially in charter schools where they don't have to uh, take the exams that the uh, public school kids take. They don't have the same standards. Matter of fact, uh, who checks on them? We, our, our students in public schools still have to take specific examinations, but the, the, the charter schools are exempted from, from that. So don't tell me that they're equal. They're not. Some some are doing fine. I, I'm not saying that. Right. You, I, I would never tell a person not to send his kid to um, um, a charter school. I wouldn't tell you that. But don't you tell me there are some me, charter schools
1: that are doing a right. good job of particularly helping. But don't at, tell me that you're not siphoning
2: off money from the public school. You are.
0: If you're just tuning in, our guest today is a uh, uh, writer and author, uh, Bill Maxwell, who wrote for columns for a long time for the St. Petersburg Times. If you uh, would like to join our conversation, you can call 813 or send an email to dj at wmnf.org. Um, we've got Chris from Clearwater who is on the line. Um, Chris from Clearwater, what's up? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me?
3: Yep. Uh, I would like to extend a gracious good day to Bill Maxwell. I was a great fan of his. I've read him for years. I love him. Thank you, sir. I'll I'll always remember this one column he wrote about how white people like myself should learn to address, especially elderly black gentlemen, by sir. You know, a minimum honorific to at least recognize their humanity and dignity. Uh, and besides that, thank you, sir. I'm just so happy to hear you're still alive and well and active. But uh, on regard to this subject, I agree everything you've always said, almost everything I've ever read that you, of yours. But uh, I'd like to add one other perspective on charter schools and all that nonsense. Uh, from the perspective of a single male who pays taxes, have no children, never did, never wanted them, and, uh, but I support 100% public schools. And it, it kills me that this Declantis administration is undermining public education, especially in regards to uh, the real history. They should be teaching CRT. You're damn right, because it's true. And, you know, systemic racism is here. It's been here. It's still here. And these people are trying to perpetuate it at my expense. So they're giving the children of our state a substandard education. I dearly wish the ACLU would back me up to sue them, and and they'd say, oh, you don't have standing... You don't have children in school. Yes, I do. Asinine!
0: <laughs> Quick, asinine hit the people. dump button, John. <laughs> These Asinine people are insisting that, that that no,
3: our little delicate white flowers can't be bothered. Oh, they
0: can't learn this. Chris, like hurt their feelings. Thanks for the call. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Mr. Maxwell respond thank you, thank to God. you. I love you, all. and you too for the hosting.
3: Thank you. Thanks for calling.
0: Any response I say, to Chris, I, I love like him. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Well, I've, do you
1: think you could you could talk about your experiences in the civil rights movement in a public school today under the DeSantis regime? Could I talk about... My, yeah, yeah. Or would that be considered uh, out of bounds? And are well, you concerned about... Uh, well, how I kids have kids grandkids in
2: the public school system. Okay, okay I mean, and uh, uh, they're doing fine. <clears throat> They are, they are fine teachers, and my daughter takes care of them. <coughs> my daughter uh, reads to them. They love to read. They travel. I mean, that's what you, that's what you do. That's what you do. Uh, so and that's what public schools can facilitate, that yes. too.
0: Um, we've got a, an email from Jerome who asks, with Bill's self-reliance beliefs, I'm curious what he thinks of welfare and food stamps and other public assistance programs.
1: What do, you, what do you think of food stamps? and, and Public uh, assistance do, programs, do you, do welfare. Do you think we should get rid of it completely or there needs oh, yeah. to be some well, sort of uh, support. Uh, Well, first
2: of all, I'm not Tim Scott, so uh,
1: <laughs>
2: uh, he's, he's intellectually dishonest. But my, my, uh, I, have no, I have no problem with food stamps. If people are desperate and they arrive there through no fault of their own, then what the hell do we do with them? Take them out back and shoot them? No. Food stamps, yes. Uh, child care, anything that they need to to get them uh, 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 to give them sustenance, to get them uh, on par with other people. Fine. So, not, I'm, I'm not an anti-welfare, anti, you know, Roosevelt Johnson person. I, people who need assistance, they need it, and uh, even even people who don't deserve it. So, what do you do? They're on the street. They wind up in your emergency rooms. What do you do with these people?
1: Throw them away? We have a we have a, a former president who would say yes, uh, let's get rid of them. But we have a former president who created Obamacare, and that has helped so many millions yeah. of people. So I, I'm not an anti-warfare person. No, I, I mean I know I'm.
2: People would think I am because I'm accused of being a conservative. I'm not a damn conservative either. No, I can tell you that. Yeah, no, none of that nonsense.
0: Um, We also have um, Marianne on the line right now. Let's go to Marianne. Hello. Hi, Marianne. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just want to say I was so delighted to hear Mr. Maxwell on the radio.
3: I've been a longtime fan. I think he's a remarkable intellectual person who's a beacon of light, and I just wish he was on the radio every day because I'd be listening.
0: Thank you.
1: Thanks, Marianne, and I agree with you.
0: You're welcome. Bye.
1: Now, uh, you have spoken. Spent an interesting time in your retirement as an artist in residence in the Everglades. Now, first of all, I didn't even know there was such a thing. So tell us about your experience as an artist in
0: in the Everglades. Which you also wrote about for the Forum magazine, the Florida right. Humanities Forum magazine, your experiences. What was that like? That, but...
1: Were you there in August? <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was there two years almost. I was there 20, 20 months. And you lived, you
1: survived the mosquitoes. And- <clears throat> I did.
2: This uh, was his
0: opportunity to see what it would have been <clears throat> like to be a ranger. It was but, fra- well,
2: right. It was a dream come true. of fact, yeah. I fulfilled the dream. Uh, as a, uh, I was part of the artist in residence program, uh, and they gave me an apartment uh, in the Everglades to live in. They have a studio for artists to come and live. What part of the Everglades is that in? Pine uh, Island. Pine Island, It's Pine Island, not okay. too far from the uh, main headquarters, all right? There actually are apartments in there for people. Uh, and I lived there for, I lived in three or four different apartments in the Everglades. Um, and my job was to write <clears throat> uh, two, two articles uh, about my experiences in the Everglades for, uh, for the organization, So I stayed there a month uh, doing that. And every day I got a chance to go to my favorite places. I got a chance to go uh, from uh, Pine Island down to Flamingo. Every day I got a chance to travel. I got a chance to see every animal uh, that was there, including the uh, dreaded python. Hmm. So I got a chance to do all of that. And I was in nature. I got a chance to go into Florida Bay. I saw the fish. I saw the birds. I would wake up in the morning and look out and I would see thousands of birds going over uh, my apartment. Uh, I look out in my front yard, there's a deer. You know, So it was, uh, it was heaven on earth to me. Now, after I finished uh, the program, the uh, uh, person in charge of um, information at the Everglades asked me if I would um, write for her. I said, well, uh, um, I live in St. Petersburg. I don't see how I can do that. So she said, if I could arrange for you an apartment in the Everglades, would you come and write for me uh, during the centennial? It was the centennial of the, of the uh, National Park Service. So it was a celebration. So I wrote articles for her that were published in the local newspaper in a national uh, publication. So that was my job, was to write about the Everglades and the other parks in South Florida. And it was a dream come true. So I got a chance to go to the Dry Tortugas. I got a chance to uh, travel all over uh, all the parks. So it was uh, a kid from uh, Fort Lauderdale who wanted to be a park ranger. Well, I finally got a chance to become a park ranger. That's awesome. In fact, I was given that status. You know, I was actually uh, um, had, had certain certain rights in the park.
1: You know? And it, it deepened your your love for the environment? Yes. Yes, it 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 was
2: it was everything I wanted to wanted to do. Anything? Uh, what was the most surprising thing about that? The most surprising thing. That's a good. I never thought of that. That's a good question. Uh, the most surprising thing for me uh, was the number of volunteers in the Everglades. Some of the work in Everglades could not get done if people did not volunteer. What, so are, was, what are they doing? What kind of work <clears> are they doing? They uh, uh they they. They uh, take money from uh, visitors. Uh, they they, they uh, uh, fly helicopters. They uh, actually uh, uh, commandeer rangers out into the waters to. They do everything. Yeah. So it was uh, quite. In fact, in fact, I was a volunteer. And that was my status as a volunteer. And uh, so, tell me about the mosquitoes in the summer. The mosquitoes. Well, there were, they were uh, uh, let me see if I can remember how to put it. There were three uh, bad seasons in the Everglades, and they all related to mosquitoes. Uh, there was a uh, 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 they were bad, they were real bad, and they were. A, mm, mm, mm.
0: <laughs>
2: so that's how you judge your day. Yeah. Uh, in, in the, in the in the Everglades. But you didn't mind that at all. No.
0: Um, I want to go to another email that we have. There's We've got a couple emails, people talking about the self-reliance that we were talking about. So let's get back to that, if you don't mind. Because um, Wendell from downtown St. Pete says he's enjoying the show. As a black man, how can you assure that your ability of self-reliance self-reli- isn't stripped away by laws that prohibit you from taking on that responsibility? How can you be self-reliant if you are not allowed access to the resor- resources to be self-reliant in the first place? So there's a question for you,
2: I Mr. Maxwell. A, I think it's a fair question, but I and my answer may not be uh, the correct one. It may even it may even sound flippant, but um, but my, my mother had a had a philosophy. Her, her philosophy was uh, make sure that you keep the yard clean, make sure you you keep all the laundry clean, you keep things clean, you keep things tidy, because you know in the long run. That may be all you're going to ever have, being a a citizen of this country. I'm the last person to assume that uh, that there's a big burden on people, poor people, uh, to make it. There's a huge burden on you, which doubles uh, your responsibility to keep things clean, tidy, and healthy. Just because uh, the governor is who he is just because of that, that does not mean that I don't have a responsibility to give my kids a bowl of Cheerios and a banana in the morning and a glass of orange juice. That's mm-hmm. my responsibility. I don't, care. I don't care what anyone else does. I have to do this. I have to keep my car running. It's an old car. It's a beat-up old car. So what? The point is that I have to take care of that. So I don't, I don't really want to hear um, uh, excuses about... About why I can't take care of myself, and by the way, uh, racism is systemic. One thing affects another. When a bank will not permit Bill Maxwell to get a loan, that impacts my children. Mm -hmm. I know that. I'm I'm no fool. That that impacts. That means that I cannot pay my rent. I know that. So what do you do instead? Sit on the corner? Sit under a tree? No, you don't do that. You do what men did when I was a child. You would see old black men with <clears throat> broken down pickup trucks, with broken down lawnmowers on them, going out trying to find yards to cut. You do what you have to do. You don't sit around and be nothing. Mm-hmm. That's my philosophy of life. And,
1: and again, God is not going to help you uh, and the idea that there is not uh, systemic racism is is so ridiculous because look at the legacy of racism. In just in St. Petersburg yeah, alone, where right. black people were not al- allowed to own property north of Central Avenue. That's right. Um, and if you wonder why there are so many black people who live in South St. Pete, that's the legacy of racism. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you know.
0: And it uh, doesn't go away when... You know, three years after you change the law. It just doesn't work that way. But but I can also show
2: you places in South St. Petersburg where families are thriving. They're not wealthy, but they are families who are healthy, they're taking care of themselves, and they're self-sufficient. And so, I mean, it it can happen. And you know what? It has to happen. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to
1: go anywhere. But laws like the 64 Civil Rights Act and the 65 (coughs) Voting Rights Act— were important. Because I mean because it allowed you to leave the farms That's and get right. a job indoors. You were able to vote without fear. You were able to be a real part of society, right? That's right. And and that you know you, you must do you look back on those days with some pride, I would hope? I
2: don't know about pride. I look back on them, where I think that I that there's a lesson to be learned. I don't know if I take uh I don't know what you mean you know in, in, Friday. Well, no. not
1: everybody did it. Not everybody got involved. No, in it.
2: but it, it's it's uh, it's.
1: I feel fortunate. Well, did, what did your mom think about that? My, well, my mom is is dead now. Yes, but, but at, the mom, time, uh, at the time you decided I'm going to go to Saint Augustine and put my life on the my,
2: line. My, my mom always told us, you know, you better, you know. My mom didn't allow us to sit around. She didn't allow that. You know, you had everybody. You had to get up and go do something. You had to work. My mom did not allow the girls or the boys, uh, uh, to sit around. And by the way, I got to tell you, being a migrant farm worker was good for me. First of all, you lived on the white man's property. You did not live on the man's property if you didn't work. You were there because that's what your job was, was to work. So I learned that ethic about, about working from being a poor person, from being deprived, from being brutalized, I watched migrant farm workers disappear. We were treated badly. We had nowhere to go. We had no bathrooms in the fields. Women and men had to go behind trees or dig a hole behind Palmetto. Well, I was raised that way. But the point is that that did nothing to, to blunt my sense of taking care of myself and making it better for my daughters, my son, and my grandchildren. So I would say this. Uh, poverty made me mean as hell. Being <laughs> poor made me mean, and I'd be damned if I'll take it from anyone. I'm gonna let you abuse me
1: because I'm poor. No. Well, well, you also have a strong voice, and you're 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 fearless in your opinions. Where'd that come from? Same place. I mean, <laughs> you know. I, I mean, I I think uh, there was a recent interview with you, and and that was one of the things, is advice for writers. One was learn the craft. That's right. Which means what? Um, Learn how to write a good sentence, you know, and Uh learn how to put them
2: together and learn how to use transitions. Learn how to learn the right word, you know. Uh, Ernest Hemingway uh, was asked one time, how many many times did he write the last uh, uh, sentence? of a fair of of fair to arms. He said, uh, you know, something like 31. Mm -hmm. And the person, well, why did you write it, rewrite it 31 times? And he said to get the words right. And that's what writing is. You get the words right. And the other
1: thing you said was you've got to be courageous. That's right.
0: Um, We've got just a little bit of time left. So I just want to remind everyone about how you can read Find Bill Maxwell's work because we've had a lot of people reaching out and how glad they are to hear you on the show, Bill, and or want to read your writing. So the book is Maximum Vantage, a collection of columns from the Saint Petersburg Times. That's available on Amazon. People can get it there. Um, your also work is also in the Florida Humanities Book, um, uh, and I forget what the name of the book is, which is terrible that I'm zoning out on it, but. Th- What is it? Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time in Florida, right. Once Upon a Time in Florida. It's a collection of 50 articles from the Forum magazine.
1: And you can join the Florida Humanities and get Forum. Get
0: Forum for free. And Bill writes in Forum on a regular basis. So something coming um, coming up in the spring about his experiences playing football in the Jim Crow era. So, Bill. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today. Really, really appreciate it very much.
1: It's been great. We could spend hours talking. And thanks for putting up with me. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks,
0: DJ Spaceship, for answering the phones. And thanks, John Dunn, for running the board. This is WMNF Tampa. Alternative
1: Radio is coming up next.